All right, good evening to you. It is 7 o'clock and it is time to jump in tonight. I invite you to find your seats. Well, whether it's the first night or the last night, it's a, it's a good night when it's a Wednesday night verse by verse prime time. So good to see you tonight. If I do not remember any other time tonight, in between, in our break in between during our coffee and cookie break, uh, Frank Freeman is going to be uh, selling uh, men's breakfast tickets uh, back there. You can use your credit card. We'll take your cash. He'll take whatever you have. Um, but this coming Saturday is our men's breakfast, and uh, we'd love for you to come. And if you forgot to do that, uh, Pastor Chuck just gave me a free ticket to give away right here. <laughs> Look at that. And so uh, you can uh, purchase your tickets, or if you found someone who wants to go with you, purchase another ticket back there, and we'll see you this coming Saturday. Well, I uh, remind you to turn off your cell phone tonight, because uh, you might have forgotten uh, that it's on, and someone will not forget it's on at the prime time, and uh, we will all point at you, and so um, you might want to mute that thing. And uh, as soon as I finish praying, if you haven't done so already, those of you on the right-hand side, take that clipboard that is on the, the, the underneath the chair at the end of your row. Once I pray, if you'd put your name on it and then pass it down, by the end, it's going to end up over here. Just put your names on it, and that'll allow us to communicate with you. It'll let us know that you were at this prime time, and so it'll allow us to communicate to you about our next prime time, because that's my last announcement, that tonight is our final prime time, verse by verse, for this session. And so uh, that means that we are landing the plane in the book of Ruth tonight. Tonight is Ruth chapter 4. And if you come next week for Ruth chapter 5, <laughs> you're, you're preaching because uh, I'm not. Uh, we're going to take a, uh, a spring break here. And so uh, we won't be meeting next week, and for a few weeks, the next thing that uh, will be on our Wednesday evening schedule will be communion. And so if you want to put communion in your phone right now, if you keep your calendar in your phone, that is April 13th. That's Wednesday. We always do our communions on Wednesday because it's already a part of our family culture, and we will spend a full hour and a half remembering our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If uh, you're new to Grace or you haven't been to one of our communions before, and you're wondering, what in the world could you do? for a full hour and a half at communion, will come. You won't want to miss it. We do everything that Jesus did in that upper room. If you've been to one of our communions before, you know that you want to put that on your schedule. Our next prime time will be the next Wednesday, April 20th. So April 13th is communion, and then Easter Sunday, and then we have prime time beginning again, or spring prime time beginning again on April 20th. All right? So with those as our announcements, let's open in prayer. And we're going to get started. Well, God, we thank you for this hour, and we thank you for these last 10 weeks of prime time. These really are a gift from you. They're a, they're a blessing. Um, and uh, we pray that uh, we, your people, uh, will be edified, will be built up because of it. I pray for our kids down the hallway. I pray that they would uh, be built up too in, in their teaching tonight. I pray for their teachers who aren't just babysitting, but are building into the, to the lives of our kids. And I pray that they would put their faith and trust in your son at just your right time and, and, and early in life, hopefully, uh, thereby avoiding some of the mistakes that we've made uh, later in life. God, I pray for our, our junior high and our high school ministries uh, tonight, too, uh, that you would help those uh, leaders 
um, uh, model uh, a, a Christian marriage and a Christian life, but also uh, teach to age and stage-specific um, issues uh, biblically. And so we ask for your wisdom for them tonight. And we pray that uh, you would also uh, teach us tonight, too, that you would help us understand your word more, help us um, understand you and your son better through this great Old Testament book. And so we ask for your help in all this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turning your Bibles to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4 tonight, um, we get to the last chapter of Ruth, uh, Ruth 4, and for those of you who haven't been around for a little while, or you just, like me, completely forget what we talk about every week, so I, I'm on, on that same boat, let me just kind of rewind and replay where we've been so far, because we really need some context for tonight. Uh, you can almost see Ruth as a, as a, as a beautiful, well-written piece of literature or a play or a movie. You know, sometimes when we go verse by verse, we, we forget to like zoom back out and realize that this is beautiful literature that is written. And so you can almost imagine this being a, a script that has been written and the, the camera begins to zoom in at a particular place in a particular time. And in the Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us the time that that camera lens is zooming in. It says, now, in the, now it came about in the days when the judges governed this was during the era of the judges, and these were really the dark ages of the nation of Israel. There was no real leader. No one was really leading. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, and as a result of the lack of leadership, spiritual or otherwise, the economy had crashed. Um, the, the culture was beginning to crash, and there was a famine in the land. And as that camera is zooming in further and, and further into uh, this time, we get to a place we get to Bethlehem. It uses the word Ephrathah here and there. That's the, that's the old school name for Bethlehem, like, oh, little town of Bethlehem. You know, that, it's that, that place where Jesus was born. This is just 1,300 years before Jesus was born in that same place. <laughs> Mute. <laughs> Mute button, brother. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. And as that camera lens is zooming in further and further into this time and we get to Bethlehem, it continues to zoom in into a, a place, a town, a house, and a family. As that camera lens kind of in a Hollywood way zooms past and through the ceiling of this house, we get to the family of, of a woman named Lovely, a woman named Pleasant. Her name is Naomi and she's married to... Uh, Elimelech, and uh, really Naomi has everything that a woman, woman would want in 1300 BC. She has a strong husband, she has two beautiful boys, um, and that's a good thing because they're her security, and not only is her line going to continue, but also uh, those boys are her 401k, those boys are her retirement, she's going to be taken care of in old age. And her husband, Elimelech, walks in the room and and he wants to take matters into his own hands. And he, for, for the well-being of his family, decides to move them out of, out of town, out of state, across the border to Moab. The, the Moabites are known by the Jews as Satan worshipers. So he moves his uh, family to uh, the city of Satan worshipers. Now, were they? They didn't worship the, the, the God of the Jews. They didn't worship the one true God. And so really anything else is uh, something of Satan. And so I'd agree with that definition. 
But he takes his family and his sons there, thinking that that is the best thing for them. And if this is a movie, then we would see um, three black and white vignettes. No sound, just black and white jittery, um, jittery images of uh, a, a funeral of Naomi burying her husband. And then Naomi burying son number one. And then another vignette black and white, of Naomi bearing son number two. And now we have three widows who are living off of the generosity of others. And Naomi decides it's time to go back home to her people. And she realizes that that is not going to be good for her daughters-in-law. And she says, you need to stay here. If you go with me, you are going to be a bitter old woman. No, no man, no Jew is going to, in Bethlehem, <laughs> is going to marry a Moabite. Your benefit is to stay here with your family. One of her daughters-in-law uh, reluctantly uh, acquiesces and stays in Moab, but the other one, Ruth, she is, she is loyal. She, we're going to find that loyalty is a theme, and we see that loyalty again tonight. She's loyal to, to Naomi. She is loyal to, to God. This is where uh, Ruth says, your people are my people. Where you go, I go. Your God is my God, and where you die, I am going to die. There's this enormous loyalty on the part of uh, Ruth to Naomi. And so Naomi gets back into town, and everybody's gossiping. Is this really the one? And she says, no, 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 don't, don't call me lovely. Don't call me that anymore. Call me the bitter old woman, because the Lord has dealt harshly with me. And that's where that chapter closes. And then as they're in town, uh, Ruth decides to take some risks. She, she does a risky move, and she decides to go gleaning out in the fields she knew that that was dangerous, and that was a dangerous thing in those days, particularly for women to be alone out in the fields. But she's hungry more than she's scared. And so she, trying to help her mother-in-law, goes to glean in the fields. And so she just, as, as Scripture says, she just happens to end up in the field of a very wealthy uh, family member who happens to be single. And so this man, this is where we're introduced to Boaz. He's the, the, the hero riding in the white horse, and he is blessing all of his employees and bless you, and they bless you right back, boss. And so that's the kind of man he is. He's a man of standing. Scripture uses, or, or our translations, the New American Standard uses the phrase, he's a man of great wealth. But really that translation, he's a man, to, man of standing, and he really was a man of standing. And so he sees this foreigner out there working. He says, who's that? And the foreman says, well, that's the Satan worshiper, the one that you've heard about, the one about all the stories who, who's loyal to Naomi, and from what we hear, she's loyal to God too. And Boaz has heard all of the stories about her, and so he, um, he, calls, her, uh, he calls her closer, and he has a conversation with her, and he says, because of your commitment to God, because of your commitment to Naomi, he's seen her hard work right in front of him. And because of your hard work, you can have all the benefit from this land. And she asks him, why? Like, why? Do you think you can, do you think I'm easy? Do you think you can get something from this foreigner woman? He's like, no, <laughs> no. Because of who you are, because of your character, because of your love for God, because of your, of your loyalty to Naomi and your, your hard work. And so he, uh, he takes her out on a lunch date, gives her some uh, dog, a doggy bag to take home to Naomi and at the end of that chapter, they rejoice because they might have found the one, the one that could redeem them. He is their kin, and he could, he could buy them out of the situation that they find themselves, the kinsman redeemer. And so chapter 3 was last week, and, and now it's been a couple of months. Now, like, both of them, both women 
are Naomi and Ruth are wondering, okay, why, uh, why hasn't he called? <laughs> why hasn't he texted? Why hasn't he updated his Facebook relationship status <laughs> to in a relationship? <laughs> why is it not like that? Well, we find out in chapter 3 uh, why that is, but the ladies don't know that. They don't know why, and so they come up with a plan. And the plan is, is all right, this is our last chance to, to get to him. Uh, so get all gussied up, put your black dress on, look like a woman this time. Don't look like a worker, don't look like a farm worker, don't be all sweaty, look nice. And so the plan is, is you're going to go out after he's finished all of the harvesting, processing of the food. All, everyone who is harvesting are, are going to be in a celebratory mood. Uh, they're all going to be sleeping out, protecting the, um, the, the, uh, the resources that they had, made, that they had, um, had harvested. And, uh, and if he sees a woman, he's going he, he's gonna to like it. And so you're going to go out there once he's sleeping, and you're just going to sit, at, you're going to lay down at, at, at the end of his feet. At some point in the night, his feet are going to get cold, and that's what you want. You want his feet to get cold. It's like the only time that a woman wants a man's feet to be cold. Okay? His feet's going to get cold. And once he sits up, uh, you're going to have a conversation. And then that's exactly what happened. His feet got cold, and he woke up in the middle of the night, and he, and he felt down there, and there was somebody down there. He said, who is it? And, it w- and Ruth said, it's me. And um, you want to marry me? Will you be my kinsman redeemer, is what she said. Will you redeem us? You are my kin. You are my family. Will you buy us out of the situation? Will you marry me? And now we find out why he's waiting. He's an older guy, and he figured that she was looking for someone uh, her own age. And so he, he wanted to pursue her, but, um, but he was reluctant because there was another suitor out there. There was another kinsman out there that, that was even closer to her than he was. And and he was apprehensive because he thought maybe she was looking for him, and so he was waiting for her to make the first move, and that's exactly what happened. And so now that she is sitting at his feet in the middle of the night, he says, yes, <laughs> I want to be your kinsman redeemer, and her hopes sprung high, and then right immediately he crushed, he, he crushed her heart when he said, but we have to do this the right way. There's another kinsman out there, and he's closer than, than I am, and so if he's going to marry you, if he's going to redeem the situation, then okay, um, we'll let him do it. And he said, uh, why don't you go home before everybody wakes up because of you seeing me here, us being seen together in the middle of the night won't look good, so you go back home. And, and she goes back home, and, and Naomi says, well, how'd it go? And they rejoice because he said yes. And so that gets us to chapter 4 because there's a still this thing looming. What about this other guy? Verse four, or chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside, and he sat down. He goes to the, to the town gate. This is obviously where social connections happen, but more happens here than just social connections. This is where economic transactions occur. This is where the judges and jury uh, sit, so legal proceedings happen right here. And so, you know, imagine he's pacing back and forth thinking, oh my goodness, this is, she said yes, and, and, and we want to get married, but there's this other guy. And it just so happens that this guy walks by right in it, on the spot. Verse 2, and so he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. And then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, 
who has come back from the land of Moab has to sell the piece of land which belongs to our brother Elimelech, that was her husband, and now she had this land in her family. And so I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he, meaning this relative, this, this closer kinsman redeemer, says, I'll redeem it. And so, so this guy shows up. There's a meeting right at the, the gates. And <laughs> right there, Boaz opens up court proceedings. He says, okay, dude, you sit here. Okay, uh, uh, 10 judges, you sit down here. Okay, here we go. Here are the court proceedings. He's going to meet this out right here on the very next day after he had talked to Ruth. Now, the only reason that Naomi would sell her land, we talked about this from week one, is because she's desperate. That's why she would have to sell her property. Remember, her property was really hard to come by because it was assigned as an aspect of being the promised land in each, uh, in each tribe and in, in each family, uh, each clan was assigned a, a plot of land. And this is how they would make their money. This is where their income would come from, from the harvesting or allowing animals to graze on that land. But if you were desperate, if you were in a desperate situation, you could sell it. It wasn't a permanent sell. It was a sell it for 50 years. It was basically a land lease because after 50 years, the land would come back to the family. But for all intents and purposes, the, the land would be gone. For Naomi, she'd die long before that land came in. Probably for Ruth too. Probably for Ruth, the land would long be gone uh, long before um, the land would come back long after Naomi and Ruth had, had died. So this was going to be a selling of the property really for their entire, entire life. And so nobody could buy it back, not a friend with extra money. Um, it had to be, there was only one person that could buy the land back, and that was kin. That was family who could come and buy that situation out. They, they could pay for all of what was needed. And so Boaz, you know, here in these verses is saying, hey, do you, do you want the land? And if not, I'm, I'm next. That's, that's what's happening. If you want the land, great. And he starts to talk about the property that it is. It's a beautiful property out on the, you know, out on the edge of, of the city. You know, it's got a pool. It's got a spa, uh, air conditioning, uh, multi-level uh, you know, it's, 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 a great, it's a great place. It has a mother-in-law house in the back. It's just a, it's a beautiful property. <laughs> deal or no deal? And now this relative is just taking all of this in, this closer relative, this other guy is taking all of this in, and he's thinking, if this goof wants this property so bad, then it must be a good deal. And so he says, I'll take it. <laughs> Now, that must have been a crushing blow <laughs> to, to Boaz, and there it is. He says, I'll take it, and the chapter comes to a close. Close your Bibles. We're all done. Let's pray and go home. <laughs> Don't read ahead. Don't do it. This guy's going to take that property side unseen. It sounds so good. But there's a lot of wisdom in, in Boaz, verse 5. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the land from Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. 
And so Boaz says, okay, very well then. If you want the property, uh, that property also comes with a mother-in-law. You get an extra mother-in-law. By the way, she goes by the name of Bitter Old Woman now, so good luck with you. And oh, I forgot to say also that also comes with this property is a Satanist. So you get to marry a Satanist, have kids with a Satanist. Uh, they get your credit card, by the way, too, so uh, you get to spread it around with the mother-in-law and the and the Satan. This is smart. I mean, this is genius, like in retrospect, how he rolls this, this plan out. The guy is all in, and then he starts to uh, roll out exactly what comes with all of this. Now, remember, we talked last week that there is more to this story than what we are reading. This is more than just a love story. This is more than just a soap opera. This is more than just a man and a woman. This is more than just Ruth and Boaz. That this, this story is the mystery. That's what the New Testament calls it, the mystery. And Ruth and Boaz had no idea that their story was a picture of a much bigger thing. Boaz, being this kinsman redeemer, represents Jesus Christ. And Ruth represents a sinner that needs to be redeemed. And we talked in detail about that, that last week. But this picture that that Boaz paints in the life that, that he is living here is, is such a picture of reality in the way that it really had to be. That This kinsman redeemer had to, get, had to go right into the middle of the mess. Uh, he couldn't stand back and, and be high and mighty and, and uh, just stay in his property. He had to go, go right in the middle of the mess. <laughs> and uh, let's just say humans are, people are messy. We, we are sinful we, we are know-it-alls, uh, we, we are selfish, we are, are greedy people. And, and yet the Bible tells us that, that Jesus came here to... He, 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 I mean, think about that for a minute. Why would somebody so... I mean, we have a smart God. We have a... He, he's wise, now, why would a wise God decide to redeem such a, such a chaotic mess? Why, why would he redeem selfish, self-centered, greedy, know-it-all people? Why? Because he loves us, exactly. The Bible tells us that, that God loved us before we loved him. And that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And here Boaz is being a, a, a beautiful picture. I mean, what a perfect picture of, of who Christ is to us coming to redeem in a very messy, dirty, messed up situation. Here comes, here comes Boaz. So back to the story here. Boaz has this guy right where he wants him. You know, he takes him on the, he's like a real estate agent and takes this guy on the tour. First, he shows him the property. The guy's like, oh, that's beautiful. Shows him the house, beautiful house. Oh, let's, let's take a tour of the house. Opens the door and the, the relative says, well, who's that? Sit in the rocking chair. Uh, that's the bitter old mother-in-law that comes with the, comes with the place. Oh, they're taking tours of each of the rooms. They, they open the master bedroom and, and the the relative sees a woman sitting on the bed, and he says, who's that? Oh, that's a Satanist you have to marry. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I mean, what, what an organized plan that he had to have him be all in and then to start to think about what's going on, verse 6. 
The closest relative, meaning this other kinsman, said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. When he says, I would jeopardize my own inheritance, he's just saying that my, my own boys wouldn't want to split the inheritance with other kids that would come from the situation. Uh, my wife doesn't want to sleep with a Satanist. <laughs> Uh, uh, the, the, the cost is too high. The land isn't worth what we're all talking about now. And so you can have it instead of, instead of me. You know, you show me behind door number one, you show me behind door number two, and like, okay, it was a deal, but now it's no deal. You can, you can have this whole situation, verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man would remove his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation to Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders, you know, remember, this is all just being played out right here in front of these 10 judges, uh, the jury that is sitting right here evaluating this. You are witnesses today that I have bought from, from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion. Who's that? That's one of the sons of Elimelech and Naomi, and Malon, the other son of Naomi and Elimelech. And so he gets, he gets everything as an aspect of, of this. So the first guy takes off a sandal <laughs> as an aspect of, you know, basically, it's not mine anymore, it's yours. That's kind of what this is saying. He probably took off both sandals. I want, <laughs> I want, none, I want none of what's happening here at all. And no sooner than he does that, that uh, Boaz jumps right up and uh, he says, I'll do it. I'll, I'll redeem them. I'll, I'll do this. Now, remember, he didn't have to. Th this wasn't a requirement. There was only one requirement that we see in the Old Testament where the brother of the, the deceased husband was required by law to marry his remaining a widow when they lived together. But none of the, this, well, this isn't a brother, they hadn't lived together, and so this is just a kinsman redeemer. He could have, but he didn't have to. But Boaz, of course, he goes and he, uh, he does it. And so now this ex-Satan worshiper who came to God in verse 16 of chapter 1, the one that Naomi even said, there is no hope for you. No one's going to marry you back in Bethlehem. No one's, there is no hope for where you're going to go, for what's going to happen now. Now we have hope. Now she has found a husband, a stand-up guy, a man of standing, and he's rich. Bingo. And so now the, now the, the party that, that occurs after all of this purchasing it says, moreover, I've acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. Remember that when uh, in a kinsman redeemer situation, when a marriage would happen, the kids would were seen as not Boaz's kids, but they were continuing, continuing the line of Malon, of the, the husband that had died previously. That's what verse 11 is talking about. Moreover, verse 12, may your house be like the house of 
Uh, did I read verse 11? No, okay. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built houses of Israel, and may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah. Remember, that's the old school name of, of Bethlehem. And the, these witnesses are saying, hey, may it be like these other great uh, women that have, um, that, had, that have been a part of our history in Israel, may, may Ruth and, and Boaz have the same uh, impact on our nation. Verse 12, moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring, which the Lord will give you by, uh, will give you, uh, by this young woman. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Wow. Married, pregnant, all in one day. I mean, what a, what a gift. You almost read it like married, pregnant, and has the kid all in one day, but obviously you know that that isn't exactly what happens. But what a blessing. Married, she conceives on her wedding night, and nine months later she gives birth, birth to a, a son. Wow, what a blessing. What a, what a change from, from death in the beginning to birth here at the end. Verse 14, then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name be famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. So the son is born, and everyone says, this is even better than having seven sons. This is so much better for you in what's happened. Now you have a wealthy provider and a loving family. This is such a wonderful thing. Verse 16, Naomi, remember this is like grandma, took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor woman came and gave and. The neighbor woman gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse and the father of David. This is, like, think this through for a minute, okay? So, so Ruth has, you know, had this baby, and she's taking a rest from the birth, and, and uh, Ruth gives the, the baby to grandma, to Naomi, and all of Na- Naomi's, you know, uh, friends come over from the neighborhood, and they just like straight up name the baby right there. <laughs> Ruth, Ruth comes out from her nap, and all right, we have a new name. That's that. And Ruth's like, okay, well, I guess uh, Obed, servant of God, is what is what Obed uh, means. And you notice there at the end of uh, verse seventeen, it talks about he is the father of Jesse and the father of of David, and um. And and those of you who are who are been Christians a while, you know that uh, David obviously becomes the king of Israel, and it, you know that it is when Jesus Christ, when he comes back at his second coming, he is going to sit on David's throne. Um, the the kingdom that that David had is suspended in time. Christ promises that he's going to fulfill all the promises that he had made even to, to Old Testament Israel Jews. All the promises are still going to be fulfilled. 
It just didn't happen in their time. They, they rejected the Messiah. Remember that whole part? And, and so, but, but the promises are still going to be fulfilled. So Jesus is going to come back and he's going to sit on David's uh, throne. And uh, David comes from Obed, Obed, who came from Boaz and Ruth. And now the credits kind of roll here, verse 18. These are the generations of Perez. Perez was born to Hezron, and Hezron was born to Ram, and Ram was born to Amminadab, and Amminadab was born to Nishan, and Nishan, Salmon, and Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz, Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. Now, some scholars believe that those verses right there that we just read um, is one of the most important parts of the Old Testament because this is the only place that connects the tribe of Judah with David. This is the only place. If it wasn't for the book of Ruth, and if it wasn't for these five verses that we just read, we, would have, we wouldn't have that connection. And so remember that, that Ruth is a picture of a sinner that needs to be redeemed, and Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ doing the redeeming. And we'll get back to that uh, once we take a break. So let's take a, let's take a, a two-minute break. And then we'll get back in just a few. Yes, the whiteboard is here for a reason. I know you've been wondering the entire time, and we need to get, we need to, get to it. So the re- reminder here is that Ruth is a perfect picture of, of a sinner that needs to be redeemed, and Boaz is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ doing the redeeming. And I just want to kind of drive that point home to notice three aspects of this story that is really clear and really applicable to this uh, Christ-Boaz uh, correlation. For instance, the first one, Jesus became our kinsman by choice. He, decide, he didn't have to. Boaz did not have to be the Redeemer, and Jesus did not have to be the Redeemer. We needed one, though, because we were separated from God because of our sin, and we have no other kin. There, there's no other... Um, flesh, there's no other human being that could go and stand in front of God and, and take our place. There's nobody. I would love to die so that my wife could go to heaven. I'd love to die so that my kids could go to heaven, but, but I, I am poor spiritually just like they are. I, I, I can't re- even redeem myself, much less redeem anybody, anybody else. And so there's no other human being that could redeem us and so Jesus, being the Son of God, was uh, permanently and perfectly in, in heaven. He didn't need to go anywhere. He didn't, he didn't have to come to planet Earth, and yet he decided to. And so that's why the virgin birth and the incarnation is so, um, is so impactful, because it is God leaving heaven to come to earth. He didn't leave his divinity behind, but he did leave the glories of heaven behind. And so that he would come to earth, and he was 100% human, he became flesh. And he did that on purpose. He didn't pretend to be a human. He was 100% God, and he was 100% human. You know, Jesus was potty trained. Jesus, Jesus was tempted and always just like, just like you and I were, and yet he is, Scripture says, and yet he's without sin. And so that is what makes him the perfect redeemer, but he didn't have to. He did that by, by choice. Secondly, not only did Jesus become our kinsman by choice, just like Boaz, but Jesus paid the full price of redemption, just like Boaz. Boaz paid the full price of redemption for Ruth, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But at least Bo, Boaz at least got something <laughs> for it. Bo, Boaz got, he got a wife, 
He got a, a son. He got a wonderful family. He got land. At least Boaz got a lot from that transaction. But what did Jesus get? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus gets us goofballs. <laughs> I mean, like, what does he get? He, Jesus got absolutely nothing out of this. It, some people say, you know, Jesus needed humans. That, that, God, that Jesus was bored in heaven, and he needed humans to be his friends. <laughs> and so he came and did, like, I'm bored, and I need someone to play Uno with and play Monopoly with on Friday night, you know, and so I might as well go and have some friends. No, no, no. Jesus was eternal in eternity past, and he did just fine without us in eternity past. He doesn't need us, but we certainly need him. And so Jesus paid our full our full price of redemption. We did nothing. There's nothing that we could provide. Um, the Bible says that we are powerless to provide any salvation on our own. And there was nothing that Ruth and Naomi could do to provide for their own. They were completely destitute. And spiritually speaking, we are completely destitute as well. And so Jesus is the one who came and he dies on the cross paying the full price. You know, when he's on the cross and he and he cries out, it is finished. That is a, 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 a phrase that was uh, stamped on um, the invoices once something was paid in full. Jesus, Jesus cried out, it is paid in full. What is paid in full? The debt for our sins is paid in full. Just like, just like everything for Naomi and Ruth was, was paid in full, uh, we were bought with a price. It was a different price than Boaz paid. It was the blood of a sinless lamb. And so first, Jesus did this by choice. He became our kinsman by choice, just like Boaz. And Jesus paid the, the full price of redemption, not a portion, but all of it. And finally, just like Boaz, Jesus gives us a new future. Jesus gave, gave Ruth a new future. I mean, just, just think of it. You know, here, here you are, a, a, a widow with, with no sons. And as we know, in that culture, that was an atrocity. There was no 401k. There was no support. They were just completely destitute, uh, living off the generosity of others. And all of a sudden, you turn from a widow to a wife, what a wonderful future that presented her. Now she had a future. Now, now she could have kids. What a wonderful thing that that was. But when, when, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for, for our sins, it, it, it changed our future. When a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, their future is no longer hell. It, it's no longer paying our own debt. Because that was, that's what Ruth and Naomi would have had to do, sell the land and live destitute for the rest of their life. And as, and as tragic as that is, hell's even <laughs> worse. And so when, when Boaz can't, comes and he pays the whole thing, he gives her a whole brand new future to look forward to. And we, we've read that future of a, of a son and the future that that came with um, through King David and Solomon and all the way to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. What a, what a wonderful future that is. But when Jesus dies on the cross and when he redeems us, our future isn't just like a temporary future where we have a, a new home or, or, or you know, a husband. We have eternal life. And, um, and so Jesus gives us a new future. So these are three things that I didn't mention last week that I wanted to get to this week, that he became our kinsman by choice. He didn't have to, but he did because he loved us. He paid the full price of redemption. 
we could not have contributed to it at all. And Jesus gives us a new future, just like Boaz gave Ruth a, a brand new future. But, and like I said at the very beginning, you know, as we look minutely at these uh, books and we look word for word and verse by verse, sometimes we miss like the, the, the arc, <laughs> the, 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 the beautiful literature. Yes, this is also literature. Some people say, well, it's either literature and poetry or it's a, it's a history, but it can't be both. No, it is both. This is literature. I mean, even a history book is written in a book, right? That's literature, right? And so there's, some, there's a beautiful literary arc to this, to this story that um, it's possible that, that um, you have missed or, or, um, or, or I have missed along the way. And so I have some notes somewhere here. Where did my notes go? And I want to I show you what I kind of wrote down as I, um, as I found this, but I need my paper. There it is. So that's why the whiteboard is here. So we have the book of Ruth, and let's say there's, we have four chapters here. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. And we're going to kind of diagram this, this book and see just the, the, the beauty and the artistry of, of the storyline that we got. So when it first, in chapter 1, it starts off with, disaster. It starts with death. You have death of husband number one, death of husband number two, death of husband number three, the sheer disaster of having to move a family because of a famine. That's all very difficult things. And at the end of this book, it ends with, with loyalty. The, the loyalty of Ruth to Naomi the loyalty of, of Ruth to, to God, that's where that chapter ends. And then we get kind of into the meat of the story. And uh, Ruth and Naomi, they, they, have a, a, they come up with a plan because we need food. <laughs> very, very basic. And so as an aspect of that plan of we need food, there's a meeting. And they meet this wealthy Wealthy farmer whose family. And at the end of that, there's enormous, enormous rejoicing. There's, there's joy, there's celebration at the end because they find out that, that he's wealthy. <laughs> that he's wealthy and he could be the that he could be the one to redeem us. Then we get to chapter 3. In chapter 3, Naomi and Ruth, uh, it starts off with Naomi and Ruth coming up with another plan. And this plan is um, get dressed and look like a woman. <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> Put on the put on the makeup. Um, he'll be attracted to that, and and so then there's another meeting, and that meeting then is is outside, an outside meeting with cold feet. <laughs> and as a result of that meeting, Ruth comes home and. 
uh, tells her mother-in-law everything, and there's more joy, and there's more rejoicing because, because he said yes to the dress. And so today then, almost in an opposite way, now in, in four, we have more loyalty. The, the, but this loyalty now is not uh, loyalty from Ruth to anybody, but this is loyalty of Boaz to Ruth instead. And at the end of this chapter, after they, they, um, after they, they get married, after they get married, there is much joy and new birth with a, with a son that has a future, with a husband that is wealthy, and there's an enormous joy in celebration. So that's kind of an, an outline of this chapter. That's where we've been. Now, now look at, look at the, the, how, how this is laid out just in a beautifully poetic form. And notice as we start out, it starts out with disaster and, and death. That's where it starts. And it ends completely the opposite way. It ends with joy and new birth, just a, a direct mirror image of what began in the first place. And at the end of that chapter, at the end of the first chapter, is the exact same thing we see over here is loyalty. And then these, these chapters in the middle are, are very similar because here in, in these two, these two basically are the same thing where Naomi and Ruth, they come up with a plan, right? There's a plan, different plan for each of those chapters, but it's a plan. And then here, same thing, both chapters, then there's a meeting. Both of them, they, they meet, and it obviously has to do with Ruth and Boaz in both of those meetings. And then at the end of both of those chapters, there is, there is celebration, or there's joy, or there's rejoicing. And so th this book is, it's almost like a, a mirror image of itself, you know? The first chapter and the last chapter are a mirror image with these two being essentially the same storyline between the two. Now, maybe you know this, maybe not. There's even more to the story than all of this. Boaz is an enormous hero um, to the Jews as a result of the book of Ruth. And as Solomon was building his temple, you know, King Solomon, so David's son, is building his temple. You, you're familiar with King Solomon's temple. As he's building his temple, let me, let me read this, uh, this to you. And, and this is 1 Kings 7, uh, 20, 21. So King Solomon's building his temple, and, and Solomon is... So that's the great, great grandson, right, of this whole situation. In this, he set up the pillars at the porch of the nave. This is 1 Kings 7, 21. Thus, he set up pillars at the porch of the nave, and he set upon the right pillar a name and named it after a particular man. And he set up the left pillar, and he named that pillar Boaz. These are beautiful bronze pillars. They didn't carry any weight. They were purely symbolic. And Solomon puts the name of Boaz 
on this pillar symbolizing Israel's trust in following God's sovereignty. What a, what a wonderful picture. We have, we have Israel uh, trusting God and them wanting to remember them trusting God in the name of Boaz. And so Boaz obviously is a, is a, is a picture for them of, um, of, of provision, of, protect, for, of, uh, of protection, of strength. Boaz is a symbol of protection and strength, just like Jesus Christ is, is, is protection and strength, spiritually speaking. And so this story of Boaz and the story of Ruth that certainly doesn't end in the, with, with this story. It's passed all around. And for years and years and years and years and years, Boaz is remembered. I read to you the very first week as we looked um, at the genealogy in the book of Matthew that Boaz's name is even all the way in the New Testament. 1,300 years later, Boaz is still remembered. And here we now stand 2,000 plus years even after that. So what, we're at 3,300 years afterwards and Boaz is still, is still a pillar. His name is still on a bronze pillar remembering as a, as a representative of God's strength and protection being a symbol of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful book and I'm glad that we got to study it together but it's time to close in prayer. Well, dear God, dear God, I thank you for this and I thank you for recording these things. You didn't have to um, do that. You didn't have to uh, put these things in there. We could have wandered around uh, the world w- without ever knowing who Boaz was, but we're thankful for um, the, the, the imagery that, that he is in, in your son, and we thank you for sending your son to be our redeemer as being, a, as being flesh, our kin, and paying the price that none of us could pay. You paid it for us, and so that anyone who puts their faith in you um, now has the, the, a, a new future simply because of your son. So God, we thank you for that, and, and I pray that these things that we've learned tonight and learned mainly about you and your sovereignty and the providential ways, the, the way that, the way that um, uh, human uh, desires and will interplays with your desires and will has been encouraging to us, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, uh, and I will see you Sunday. <laughs>